Buenos dias, mis estudiantes. It's Mr. Harmon again, and this is Latin American History Notes on Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. Today I'm going to be covering Chapter 8, South American Independence Movements, Sections 3 and 4. Section 3, we're going to be looking at the War of the Pacific. Section 4, we're going to be looking at the War of the Triple Alliance. Just as a reminder, the notes will be online on Moodle under the notes section, and this recording will also be under that same section. I will hold office hours on Discord from 2 to 3, uh, which you can find on Moodle, and I am going to have a brief little meeting with you guys on Zoom uh, at some point today, uh, whatever hour is 7th hour. Um, so anywho, with that, let's go ahead and get to the notes. The first section that we're going to look at is the background of the War of the Pacific. So since the early 1800s, the Atacama Desert has been a place of vast resource wealth, even though it wasn't really ever understood to be a vast resource wealth. Um, the Atacama Desert is one of the driest places on Earth. They get less rain per year than everywhere else in the Earth. Um, it's something like... Um, less than a centimeter or a millimeter of rain on average for the year. Um, anywho, eventually what they're going to realize though is it is vast in two resources. Um, silver nitrate, which can be used uh, for fertilizer, and saltpeter, which can be used in explosives. Um, so the weird situation about the Atacama Desert is technically most of the Atacama Desert belongs to Peru. It's in the country of Peru, um, at least it was in the early 1800s. However, the two areas that have silver nitrate and saltpeter are the areas that are owned by Chile and Bolivia. And so in 1866, uh, the governments of Bolivia and Chile will get together and they will discuss uh, what they're going to call the Boundary Treaty of the Atacama Desert. Um, essentially, they're going to get together and discuss uh, who gets what resources, how taxes are going to be paid on land in the area, how taxes are going to be paid on businesses in the area, and how they're basically both going to get money. Um, now, notice that Peru's not involved originally, even though they own most of the land, and that is because Bolivia and Chile are gonna cut Peru out. Following the next seven years, Chile will slowly kind of take over the region and Bolivia by 1873 will start to fear that they are being cut out. And so going back on the original deal of the Boundary Treaty, Bolivia will go to Peru, who was cut out of the whole thing. And they'll tell Peru this whole thing. Chile's coming in, Chile's stealing your land, Chile's stealing your resources. And they will get Peru to agree to what's called the Secret Alliance Treaty. Essentially what it says is that if Chile continues to move in, if Chile continues to cause problems, if Chile continues to take resources, that Bolivia and Peru will both declare war on Chile. So for the following year, Bolivia um, kind of watches things develop, uh, kind of sees that Chile is still moving in, Chile is still making money, and they realize that it's, it's a losing battle. Uh, no matter what's going to happen here, it's not going to be good for them. So they reach out to Chile, and they offer Chile uh, all the land that Bolivia technically owns, um, but 
they have to pay a lump sum of money and Bolivia can tax the land as long as they want. Uh, now, the one little snippet to this deal that's important is Chile says you can set a tax, but you can't raise the tax. Um, even finding more resources, you can't raise the tax. And it's going to be a 25-year-long um, ban on a tax raise. So Bolivia accepts, Chile accepts, everybody's happy. Chile moves into the area. They're finding tons of resources. They're finding tons of money. And by February 1875, so we're talking just about a year and a half down the road, Bolivia's like, oh my gosh, we should be making so much more money. And they decide to hike up the taxes. Now, this is directly going against that treaty that they had just made with Chile. And so Chile will threaten Bolivia, basically telling them, knock it off, or we're going to take all of your land and you're not going to have anything. Bolivia responds by claiming the land and the companies of Chile on Bolivian land and then starts selling off the land and the mines to Bolivian companies. So obviously Chile is going to be upset about this and Chile reacts by invading the port city of Antofagasta, Bolivia. This is the only major port city of Bolivia and if they lose this city, they lose all their trade aspirations in the Pacific Ocean. So this is huge for them. This is what's going to trigger this war that we call the War of the Pacific, because it's obviously a war for control of the Pacific. Anywho, Peru is eventually called in for mediation, like calm things down, Peru. You've got a clear head. You're, you're fine. You're going to keep things calm in March of uh, 1878. Chile will listen for a little while and then Chile will realize like, we don't have to take your crap. We can invade you and beat you as well. And so by April 1878, um, Chile just decides we're done with this and we're declaring war on Peru as well. And so we now have a war between Peru and Bolivia on one side and Chile on the other side. And it's all for silver nitrate and saltpeter in the driest place in the world, the Atacama Desert. Fast forwarding here to the next section, we have the development of the war. So primarily there were two fronts in this war. There was a land front and a naval or ocean front. Um, the land front is interesting because of how things are going to develop here. So as for the land front, when the war begins, Peru and Bolivia vastly outnumber the forces of Chile. It's like three three to one is essentially is the situation. Um, but we're talking hundreds of thousands. So we're talking maybe like 200,000 to, I don't know what, like 60,000. I mean, it's a massive um, outnumbering of the Chilean forces. On the other hand though, the Chilean army is going to be much better outfitted with better guns, better artillery, better captains, better officers, everything they could want they have better of. Now, they have less people, but they have better things to fight with. And it's not necessarily always people that's going to win you a war. Sometimes it's going to be better things. And so the biggest problem we're going to see for Peru and Bolivia is that when it comes to working with each other versus Chile, um, Chile works very well and very hard to drive them against each other or at least in opposing ideas where they have to fight by themselves, which is, is not to the benefit of Peru and Bolivia. Uh, their only uh, advantage here is numbers and they're going to be split apart here. So Bolivia only lasts for a couple of years. Um, they give up on the land side of things in, in 1880, withdrawing to their own border by 1881. Uh, Peru left alone will be overwhelmed and it will lose Lima by January 18. 
1881, Lima being their capital. So both Peru and Bolivia do continue on in the war on land for a while, but it's more of a guerrilla warfare type war. It's really not an actual war. Um, they're trying to pick off the Chilean military as they're kind of holding down Peru and Bolivia, but it, it's really not much. Eventually, as this plays out, Peru signs what's called the Treaty of Ancon in October of 1883, and Chile signs a different truce um, in mid-1884 with Bolivia. Um, eventually, what's going to happen here, when we look at the ocean side of things, is interesting, because this is, this is really where the war was. It was the War of the Pacific, so it's about controlling the Pacific. Um, so on the ocean side of things, um, like on the land side of things, Chile has um, ships that are nearer to land. Um, they're stronger. They're thicker armored. They're better equipped with weapons. And they are larger in number than Peru and Bolivia. So Peru and Bolivia, like on land where they at least had some advantage, are absolutely boned when it comes to the naval or ocean battles. And so what we're going to see here is Chilean ships are going to look to do two things in the uh, War of the Pacific. Um, first of all, they're going to look to destroy all Peruvian and Bolivian trade ships, ruin the economies of Peru and Bolivia so they have to give up the war. Second of all, they're going to cut off all Bolivian and Peruvian reinforcements from any other potential allies. And why that is key is that had Bolivia or Peru or both of them gotten other allies to come in and help them, potentially they could have won this war. But it's not even an option because it's going to be cut off by Chile. Um, so on land, they dominate them. On ocean, they dominate them. And this is what eventually kind of draws a conclusion to the war uh, of the Pacific for Chile. To conclude here, we've got the results of the war. So in the end, Chile is going to acquire several pieces of land from both of these countries. First of all, they're going to take the Peruvian territories of Terrapaca, they're going to take the Tacna province, and they're going to take the Arikna province. This is basically uh, your southern portions of what was Peru. It's now going to become part of Chile. Um, from Bolivia, they are going to take the department, which is just another name for a province or a state, the Department of Litoral. Um, why this is an important piece of territory is this is the one piece of territory that had connected Bolivia to the Pacific Ocean. When they lose this, they are now a landlocked country. They have no access to any ocean water at all, which means effectively their trade worldwide is killed right here. This very much brutalizes Bolivia. But again, it's a punishment for the whole war. So, Chile will grow to dominate its neighbors economically, socially, culturally, politically over the next 40 years, as you would expect. And so much so they're going to have success that by 1929, 40-some-odd years down the road here, they willingly and freely will give back some of the land to Peru because they were on good terms with Peru. They never give land back to Bolivia. I will say in a positive end to this, um, in 2010, Peru... Um, now, this is, what, 100 some odd years down the road, 120 years down the road. Peru gifted 10 miles of land to Bolivia on their coast, on the Peruvian coast, so that Bolivia does have access to trade. And Bolivia can build a uh, uh, trade post on the Pacific Ocean coast now. Um, the weird thing about that, though, is like uh, they have a small little piece of land in Peru that's technically Bolivia, and then they have nothing for hundreds of miles until you get to landlocked Bolivia again. Um, so all of their um, 
ships that come in to do trade, um, they drop off the cargo and then trucks have to take it through either Chile or through Peru to get to Bolivia. And they're going to be taxed like crazy. And so it's still kind of a lose-lose situation. Although they do have trade, it's taxed like hell. So anywho, these are your results of the War of the Pacific. All right, so the next thing that we're looking at is a, a change of gears here. We're going to look at the War of the Triple Alliance. Um, the first little bit that we're starting about is the background of the war, just to give you an idea of kind of what's going on here. Um, so as how this war kind of gets going, it, it all dates back to when um, Spanish America um, has its independence movements and breaks away from Spain. And then when Spain is gone, it it is... Who is now going to be the dominant power of this region? Because it had been Spain for so long. Who will step into this uh, power vacuum, so to speak? Um, so a little bit on how these uh, countries are going to develop into this. Um, the first country to declare independence and actually have independence is going to be Paraguay in 1811. After that, it will be Argentina in 1816, Brazil in 1822, and then Uruguay in 1825. So these four countries are the four that are going to be involved in this war. Paraguay, which had independence first, then Argentina, then Brazil, then Uruguay. Um, what's going to happen is Argentina and Brazil are obviously the two largest countries in South America, and both of them are going to be vying for power over all the other countries. Cultural power, political power, economic power, you name it, they're going to be looking for power. And so Paraguay and Uruguay are these two smaller countries that are kind of wedged in between Argentina and Brazil. And both Argentina and Brazil see them as opportunistic territories to potentially force trade on and to politically exploit. And that's kind of what what is going to develop into this war. So in the 1840s, both Argentina and Brazil start to get involved in the politics of Uruguay and Paraguay to an extent, but a little bit less. They also will start to get involved in the economies of Uruguay and Paraguay, forcing a lot of their excess goods on Uruguay and Paraguay to try and make money. Things eventually come to a head by 1863-64 when Argentina does a full coup d'etat in Uruguay and Brazil joins in the coup d'etat. So two outside powers coming into Uruguay and overthrowing them. Paraguay gets pissed. Like, you can't just invade people and overthrow their governments to take over them. So Paraguay, in their anger, will respond by protesting and attacking a Brazilian ship in the Paraguayan River in Paraguay. Now, big mistake here. Once Uruguay is settled and taken over and fully controlled with the coup d'etat, Brazil and Argentina now can focus all of their anger and hate and military on Paraguay, who has just picked a fight with Brazil. And that's the background that gets us to this war. As for how this war eventually develops, shockingly, Paraguay at the start of the war outnumbers Brazil and Argentina in terms of military forces. Now, the reason we see this is because Paraguay has an forced enlistment program where everybody, every man, I should say, from age, I believe it was 16 at the time, to 30, had to serve at least five years in the military. And so their military numbers somewhere between 80,000 and 100,000, depending on what part of the war that we're talking about. The big issue for Paraguay, though, is they are lacking in terms of weapons, artillery, trained officers, and 
total population. When you look at Paraguay as a population, they only have about 450,000 people versus when you look at Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay, who's eventually going to join this combined, they have a population close to 11 million. That's almost 20 to 1 as a difference. That's crazy to think that Paraguay is going to stand any chance here. Furthermore, Brazil and Argentina, now that they have control over the Uruguayan government, are going to convince Uruguay, who Paraguay originally was trying to help, to go to war with Paraguay. And so Paraguay is in a, just a terrible situation here. It doesn't matter what they do. They are massively outnumbered, outgunned, outarmored, out-everythinged, and it's going to be a hard time. But when you have these three powers coming together, this is where we get the name of this war, the War of the Triple Alliance of Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. So as this war does break out, at the beginning of the war in 1864, Paraguay will have a series of quick attacks and a series of quick successes, where they are going to invade both the Brazilian province of Mato Grosso, and they are going to invade the Argentine province of Corrientes, and they will have success in both of those provinces. However, after about a year of kind of like developing their forces, by 1865, the Brazilians, Argentines, and Uruguayans will gather a combined force and a combined series of weapons that will put a stop to the march of the Paraguayan advance, and in fact will force a Paraguayan retreat. Just a year later, by April 1866, the Triple Alliance Army, now somewhere around 75,000 men with good, good, even great weapons, artillery, and officers, begin their own invasion of Paraguay. A year after that, by 1867, Paraguay has lost 60,000 men in its army. Realize the, the size of their army was 80,000 to 100,000. So they've lost 60% to 70% of their military in about a two-year span. That's a ton. They will conscript or basically force enlist another 60,000. This will mostly be boys, like children, and slaves. Now, I, I can't imagine that's got to be a great situation where you're a slave and you've been a slave your whole life and all of a sudden they're like, all right, now you're in the military and trying to defend this country. And you're like, why the hell would I defend this country? This country was enslaving me. Anywho, I digress. After they put these other 60,000 in the military, by 1868, the Triple Alliance will run through them and will start their assault on Asuncion, which is the capital of Paraguay. A year after that, by January 1869, they will have captured the capital city of Asuncion and they will have forced the government of Paraguay to flee the city and partly to flee the country. Eventually, the war does come to an end by the next year. By March 1st, 1870, Pre President Francisco Solano Lopez will be killed at the Battle of Cerro Cora, and that will officially call an end to this war of the Triple Alliance. The last thing we'll look at here is the end results of this war of the Triple Alliance. First of all, Brazil and Argentina are going to come to dominate the government, the culture, the society, the uh, economy of Paraguay and Uruguay over the next 50 years. They're essentially going to bleed these countries dry for resources, for trade, etc., etc., etc. Furthermore, due to the war and its aftermath, somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 people are, were killed or died during this war in Paraguay. This is just Paraguay. The crazy thing is estimates suggest that 70% of that number in Paraguay were men or boys. Meaning we're talking they lost somewhere around, and this is just a, a guesstimate, they lost somewhere around 140,000 to 
360,000 men in Paraguay alone. Almost half their population, almost half their population of men was gone. Now, what's crazy beyond that is when they are trying to rebuild their population, when they're trying to rebuild their political system, their culture, their economy, it's going to be very much a struggle because they lack men to help in reproduction. Now, you might be thinking, well, men can just have a lot of sex. Um, it's a very devout Catholic country, which most of South America is, and so that's not going to happen. It becomes an issue of we don't have enough men to actually reproduce the population that we had, and it takes them decades, generations to rebuild. Anywho, to end this all, this is actually credited as the bloodiest war in South America to date, which is pretty impressive given that they've, what, only 40, 50 years earlier gone through independence wars from Spain. That this war right here between South Americans and South Americans is the bloodiest of South American wars. And that's where we're going to go ahead and end it. Alright, so just to remind you, that was Chapter 8, South American Independence Movements, Section 3 and Section 4, War of the Pacific and War of the Triple Alliance. The notes will be on Moodle under the Notes section, as well as this recording. And I also want to tell you that there is a note quiz today for you guys to take, and... Um, Wednesday, there will not be any notes or anything for you guys to be worrying about. Um, so again, this was Latin American History Notes with Mr. Harmon for Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. Guys, have a good day. Stay safe, stay clean, wash your hands, and hasta luego.